like smell is probably a sense. Yeah, smell is probably a sense. Probably. probably. I'm just representing the public, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Think, All right. Do I know? Selling. Who knows? Most people know. <laughs> <laughs> Science, a podcast in which we interview professors, professionals, and graduate students using pop culture references as a talking point. We'll discuss the science behind your favorite movies, games, and TV shows. Each episode will feature a new topic and guest who will answer questions from you guys, our wonderful listeners. I'm Heidi, and today, as always, I'm here with Anne. Hello there. How's it going, Anne? Going pretty well. Going pretty well, nice. Today we have a very special guest, um, Andrew Moran. Hi, Moran. How's it going? I guess I should clarify that I've been calling Mer- Andrew Moran Moran right, yeah, <laughs> for we years. Have, <laughs> and we have we have two Andrews in our cohort, so we always go by last names. Um, it's impossible to coordinate Andrews <laughs> otherwise. So there's no other way to there's differentiate no other them. Way. Yeah, you can't. No, the no, only we thing they exactly have different the is their last names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Moran, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So, I am a six-year graduate student in the uh, neuroscience program here at the University of Utah. I'm currently doing my PhD in um, a systems neuroscience lab. And so, I study uh, smell and how smell is encoded in the brain, specifically how it's uh, processed. is such an interesting and a crucial question and we're uh, we're a very basic science lab that wants to answer this question that may give more insights into more translational medicine. So it's kind of what I'm doing right now. So we have Moran here as our sensory biology expert, I guess, because we're going to be talking about the movie Alien versus Predator and all their crazy biology, sensory biology. Mm-hmm. Why they look so weird, etc. <laughs> weird. I don't know if you have a good answer for that question. Maybe we're the ones who look so weird. Yeah, we probably. Yeah, we look ugly to them. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry to all the aliens and predators <laughs> that are insulted. I'm, I'm sure on their home planets, or at least uh, I think I don't even know if xenomorphs have a home planet anymore. But maybe yeah, if we landed on there, they'd be like, "What is this?" But then they probably need, use <laughs> us for hosts thing? in the end. So. There's probably like the xenomorph planet or like the predator planet. They have their own podcast they're running and they're talking about how ugly humans are. Yeah. What's up with our whole face deal? (laughs) (laughs) It is with that. (laughs) So uh, Alien versus Predator, do you want to give us a little bit of a synopsis there? Yeah. So I actually uh, just going off kind of my own fandom. I've always been a huge fan of the Alien franchise, the xenomorph franchise, as well as the Predator franchise. Um, And I actually haven't seen Aliens vs. Predators in a while, so I rented it last night, um, and I realized it was a terrible movie, but (laughs) it is one of probably the... A lot of people consider it non-canon, apparently. um, Why is that? Well, there's a lot of, like, story divergence with things. Like, for example, they were supposed to introduce, like, the alien homeworld in... um, in Aliens vs. Predator, uh, and I forget the name of the actual homeworld. I could probably look it up. But uh, they're supposed to introduce the alien homeworld 
and they wrote it out of the script. And that led ways for Prometheus and Aliens Covenant to actually come out, where you had uh, aliens actually being used as bioweapons, basically, like their species being used as bioweapons and technically not having a home planet. But there's kind of debate in the lore of it and whether or not, like, it's like, you know, whether it's canon or non-canon, it's kind of up for debate. Mm-hmm. But what's really interesting, the reason the reason I started watching it is because um, this the the different species have these different sensory capabilities. Mm-hmm. And so the synopsis is that you have a bunch of scientists, a chemical engineer, uh, also a, I'll say a geologist. They, they don't really give the actual, she, she probably is a geologist, the main, the main person. Oh, um, yeah. For her name. Uh, but she, they, they ended up getting recruited by Peter Wayland of uh, Wayland Industries before he joined with Utani Corporation. And uh, they go to on an expedition. They find a heat signature in Antarctica of something that looks like a pyramid. Mm-hmm. They go on an expedition to, uh, to Antarctica to uncover this pyramid and find out slowly but surely, I don't know, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that it is a um, that is a hunting ground for predators that's been, that have been used mm-hmm. for the past millennia. Um, and so. Uh, in this case, aliens um, were being were being used to were being bred within humans mm. as sacrifice as, as sacrificial kind of cattle per se to uh, to actually um, provide a useful game for the for the predators to hunt for the outsha mm. to hunt. So yeah, and then they go through it where they you know there's they awaken the queen and the queens are laying eggs and everyone She's dies and it starts getting awoken prematurely yeah. <laughs> yeah. no one's happy you know, when they're waking up and you have to like shock her in order because in the movie they like they they awaken her by stepping on a platform oh yeah which is this kind the, of a stupid way like of all the ways that you can activate the device that she's captured in like you just have a stone floor tile that you step <laughs> on. So he randomly steps on. You yeah. have to like memorize where it's <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. And all the stone tiles look the same. It's a huge room. <laughs> <laughs> One very unaware person would be like uh, super surprised. Like, damn it, it's not time yet. Uh, I stepped on the one place I can't step on on the floor. <laughs> and it's like, no, the one thing. It's like, you know, at least put a button or at least like a some yeah. sort of. Well, like some, some caution of, tape. Like, just don't <laughs> yeah, step over exactly, here. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what if they're like, they, they don't want the queen to like, you know, start yeah. laying eggs yeah. and they're just like, you know, take a time out. I don't yeah. know. It's, it's a pretty ridiculous premise in that. And then they, so they end up waking her up and stuff and then everyone slowly gets killed and you have lone survivors. And so you have the human and the Yaucha who's, um, there's three of them. And just to clarify, uh, Yaucha is the name for predators, right? Yeah, the predator species. They go by many names, Hish, Yaucha, a few others. Uh, but they, uh, yeah, so they have to team up in order to defeat the the, uh, the queen, queen mother. And then you have uh, them basically, uh, you know, uh, towards the end, should I spoil it? Is yeah. It, yeah. You spoil spoil it, it came out like... Over there's, ten years ago, <laughs> there's a face hugger who implants an embryo into uh. the into the uh, chest of a of a, a predator and uh, ends up producing a pred alien, which is the first in the movies that actually shows that hybrid type. 
So uh, yeah, it was. It's a really terrible movie, but it's like that terrible <laughs> popcorn flick you just yeah, watch. Yeah, it's so like, much fun to watch. It's like a drinking game movie. I just like Rotten Tomatoes gave it a twenty percent. So you are <laughs> everyone else agrees that it's a terrible Requiem, movie. Requiem. I think Requiem is actually worse. Oh really? Yeah. Really? I never saw Requiem. I don't know what Requiem, but Requiem is just basically uh, the continuation from Alien vs Predator, where they you know. There's a further crash landing in Colorado um, of the Predator ship, and then you have an infestation, and then you have a Predator from from the Yaucha Prime, which is the main mm-hmm. um, planet of the Predator species, uh, comes and tries to clean up this mess, and it's really terribly cliche. <laughs> but it, it, it and it and it, it kind of moves away from the lore and what a lot of the other maybe you know a lot of people kind of take it out of you know the, when talking about Peter Wayland and his role in it. And how that fits into with Prometheus, I think it's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know. It's kind of it's that thing where you have to you have to see it, but it's really yeah. good because there's different species, each with their own competitive yeah. advantages. Yeah, and especially sensory wise. So. Yeah. So let's talk about that. That's a perfect turning point, transition point, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so um, you mentioned a little bit that you study olfaction, which is one of our senses. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. So what exactly do you mean by sensory biology? What does that mean? So, uh, yeah, sensory biology is basically anything that helps us perceive the external world around us. It's, it varies from creature to creature. You have some creatures that have evolutionary, evolutionarily adapted to, um, to use a sense that, that is most helpful for, the, for them for survival. I know in smell, for example, like, you know, we use mice, um, which are good model organisms for that. They have very strong sense of smell. Uh, humans also have very strong sense of smell, too. Um, it's recently kind of kind of the, you know, uh, we had a former postdoc in our lab who wrote an article about how uh, olfaction, poor human olfaction is a 19th century myth. And how it's kind of, you know, now we're realizing we can distinguish over one trillion odors. That, that segues into uh, what senses do we have? Uh, so humans have five different senses. Um, we have uh, smell, taste, touch, hearing, and sight. And they all go by whatever uh, audition, gustation, olfaction, vision, and um, somatosensation. So these are, these are uh, well-defined within our brain. Um, as far as the areas that process it. We don't know fully how these neurons process it, but it's kind of interesting. Um, there's also proprioception. So we have, we have actual, um, we, we know what's going on in our outside world. We know kind of the space that we can move in, that 3D space that we can move in, which is also proprioception. So we have organs that actually can sense positions of our body movements. Um, you, uh, so I guess you could put vestibular organs under that as well. Uh, maybe they may be a little different. I don't know, vesti- like vestibular kind of senses of balance as well. Uh, certain animals have different senses. Uh, we talked, we were talking briefly before about, uh, what was it? Um, a certain fish have kind of electro, uh, they, they have electrical organs that can actually sense, uh, magnetic fields. Um, birds do that for migration. There's a lot of other, a lot of other sensory uh, things that we're and even within each of our sensations. Like for example, I mean, with vision, we can only see between certain wavelengths, right? So we're limited there. Um, where I think you have like things like 
mantis shrimp can have over like 12 different types of cones. It's some insane number or something like that. So they can see, they can see things that we aren't able to see then. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's thought that they can see in like shorter, shorter wavelengths and then also longer wavelengths that are either ultraviolet or infrared. Um, so they have more of a full spectrum of things, uh, and a lot of it, I, I think it's due to, you know, it's it's obviously due to the evolu- evolutionarily uh, advantageous, you know, factor in there. I mean, you have, for example, you have um, star-nosed moles that, have you ever seen that, where they have yeah. their little fingers coming yeah, out? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, um, they dig and they, they have very, very well-defined, um, kind of like what a barrel a barrel uh, field would be your like, or sorry, I'm thinking of a uh, barrel cortex or something in a, in a whisker barrel cortex in a mouse or something. Their, their mapping on the brain is very well-defined and takes up a large portion of their, of their actual, um, of real estate within their, within their cortex, whatever cortex it is. But uh, yeah, so, uh, and you know, it's pheromones are also a thing that we can set that, when I say we, this is a very debatable topic right now in the field, at least within the olfaction chemical senses field, is whether or not we can detect pheromones. Because pheromones require contact mm-hmm. with another species, and you have to have a vomeronasal organ to process it and an accessory olfactory bulb. And so whether or not we actually have vestigial accessory olfactory bulbs, that's kind of a huge I mean, we don't really, but whether or not we can process it, I mean, you have mice that have accessory olfactory bulbs and stuff, so they can definitely sense hormones, but it's, or sorry, hormones, which you know, are given, giving off pheromone mm-hmm. um, uh, chemicals. So you can actually, pheromones are another type of sensation. So there's a lot out there and it's very species dependent, but for the most part, humans have five or six, uh, if you count proprioception as a as hmm. a sense. All right. So I guess we wanted to talk a little bit about the like Yaucha anatomy and their sensory organs. So it seems like they're, I mean, seems it's very obvious that they are very different from humans. They have <laughs> different senses. They have different abilities. So could you just talk a little bit about what their sensory systems are like? Yeah, so uh, I know, so they're a lot like humans in a way where they can actually, um, they have uh, vision, and so vision is a huge part to them, but they're mainly colorblind and see only in the infrared spectrum. Hmm. Um, The infrared portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. So so they see, you know, if, if you actually see in, I think, the first predator when Arnold's covered in mud, have you, have you seen uh, yeah, that? Yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. trying to. So, so they're mm-hmm. seeing his like thermal heat signature or something, and he, he takes a bio. You know, the the uh, the predator takes a biomask off, and he looks he looks for Arnold, but he can't see him because he's you know in that kind of infrared. Um, he's he's masking his infrared uh, hmm. radiation, and uh, it's it's kind of interesting because like they show a little thing from his own eyes, uh, from the from the predator's point of view from from his vision. So. They see in the infrared. Whether or not they can smell is also not really talked about in the movies. So I, you know, for for reference, I played the video games. I've read some comic books, um, and I've seen all of the movies. There's uh, so many. Yeah, there. Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, so I I I know that they were they were talking about they they have some sort of. Um, pheromonal uh type of attraction for female 
Yachos, did they release a musk at musk. some point? Uh, I'm pulling this, by the way, from the Wikipedia for on fandom. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Those are always the good Wikipedias. So this um, goes back to what you were discussing before about whether or not humans have that specific olfactory bulb and whether or not we can actually detect those. Detect those, yeah. So potentially it sounds like Yaucha might have that bulb that you were talking about. Yeah, they, they could they could actually have some sort of like vestigial accessory olfactory ball and vomeronasal organ and kind of the recesses of their nose. But they don't really have a their their nose is not really there, right? Because they have these yeah. four mandibles that come out and it's all basically just full on full on jaw. So but I, I don't know exactly. They they could they could also be, you know, inhaling something where you know we we do have things like retronasal olfaction which is important so instead of inhaling from your nose you 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 know chew food and it passes up through your nasal cavity and activates your sensory receptors on your on your uh within your nose Mm -hmm. uh that's that retronasal olfaction is important in food and cooking so um but what's interesting is if you look at their their diet they only eat beef is what (laughs) i can find wait Really yeah, so cows? In Predator 2. How uh, <laughs> yeah. inconvenient of a food. <laughs> you have to travel to Earth to, to get the only thing you're able to digest and get energy from. Yeah, it's oh really... I, I mean, you would expect it because they have a very, like, sophisticated, like... I mean, yeah, it's very, like, tribal basil type of, you know, kind of uh, culture where they where they have, like, you know, hunting tribes and stuff, but they have, like, such sophisticated technology. And they build spaceships. You would yeah, expect them to mean, be, like, different. Earth know, isn't different. their home base, right? <laughs> no. So presumably they have, what, cow farms at they home? They actually like, do. So they, they actually, there's there's oh, uh, different, they have, like, horses, <laughs> which uh, I've seen these this toy line oh. where the where predators actually have or can ride on a horse, on their specific version of horses. I forget the specific name of it, but um, yeah, it's it's kind of. I can read this thing about musk. I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, some clans uh, might have females that are larger and stronger than males, and in other clans, the opposite may be true. Both genders give off a strong musk to signify aggression, while females can also emit it when it when in estrus. So this, I, I wonder what the where that was in. I, I think it's maybe in the comic or something like that. Um, or maybe they cited the Wikipedia article. That's probably not good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so those are, those are the main sensory thing. And and the interesting thing is that the biomask is something that helps them see across the spectra because they can change their, they can basically change their um, the, what what they can view in either the infrared or the ultraviolet, and so hmm. it spans the spectra of of light that they can receive and at least single out certain certain uh individuals because for example um xenomorphs don't really have so aliens don't really have um body heat they don't give off body heat so they have to switch to a different different form of vision um this little science mumbo jumbo that they're using here for the vision but it's uh really it's kind of that thing where they can at least see that it's it's kind of background radiation like electrical radiation from these from these xenomorphs so that's kind of how they view how they can actually view these aliens. And what's interesting is if you look in the, you know, big, a big thing in systems neuroscience and every, you know, everyone here knows this, but you know, a lot of our experiments are looking at signal to noise and distinguishing signal to noise. So in the movie, I also saw Requiem. I 
It's also very bad. <laughs> but uh, in Requiem, there's they actually go to a um, so they they go, they end up going to a uh, power plant, and uh, the predator that's on the planet, um, he's hunting he's hunting uh, these these aliens that have escaped and are you know in the power plant and stuff, and he's trying to get rid of them to cover up kind of this whole this whole uh, issue of aliens being run loose amok in Colorado. Can't have that. No. Yeah, right. <laughs> not in Colorado. No. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so that one. Uh, so so what he does is he can't actually view he can't get a good lock on with this plasma caster um That's this, little little shoulder, this little shoulder cannon mm-hmm. basically in order to kill the to kill the aliens so because of all the background radiation all the the noise that's covering the signal hmm. so that's a huge thing that we that i i would say in in sensory neuroscience mm-hmm. any neuroscience in general and uh, you know as a neurophysiologist what I care more about is is how do we make sense of these random signals and yeah. how do we separate the, the signal from the noise? And so we do that. It's really interesting question in my field, nullfaction, because in sensory biology, signal to noise is always um, is always something that we're striving to kind of figure out how your brain separates, you know, foreground from background. So it's also interesting. You're talking about how senses are developed and usually the goal is to lead to an evolutionary advantage of some sort. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about like the Yaucha, how they're, you know, these really great hunters, but it's really interesting to me that they see infrared light and then the alien or the xenomorphs don't emit infrared light. So that's like a cool, I guess, I'm like uh, development on the alien side or the xenomorph side of yeah, that's being evolutionarily advantaged advantageous because they can hide from their main predators i guess i never saw it that way i mean actually that that is a, that is a good point uh, i mean because because they have they have adapted yeah. this kind of yeah i was gonna say the adaptation may have been independent but it'd be cool if that's why they are well, maybe that's why the predators pick them to be their ultimate hunt ah uh, they're the hardest they're hard ones. to find yeah <laughs> I mean, that's uh, with humans, you just switch to, you know, infrared or take off your biomask and yeah. probably more just or less see them. Flip some right. goggles on it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I do when I get home. Yeah. I only take that biomask mm-hmm. off. Ooh. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Heidi just comes in a lab with a biomask every oh, day. Oh, man. <laughs> Everyone just appeases her. <laughs> you use it, you use it like to breathe the atmosphere, too. Yeah. Like yeah. Different, different like, Heidi, you have atmosphere composition. <laughs> you can see it in this <laughs> spectrum. You don't need infrared vision. <laughs> I you know we'll we'll talk about xenomorphs in a few but I mean the xenomorphs mm-hmm. already have that that very, they're, they're both xenomorphs and yaucha are very strong species mm-hmm. um, full of brute strength and very uh, have their own adaptations that make them either easy or hard to kill mm-hmm. but with humans I mean you always end up in these the, at the end of most of these movies or within well, at least the uh, comics I mean it it ends with some with the human surviving. And I'm wondering how how they survive with that. Gotta be luck. Yeah. <laughs> Watching humans alien versus luck. predator. Yeah. Are, they, are humans smarter than the Yaucha and the xenomorphs? Like that's one of that our is, main evolutionary advantages is our actual like yeah our ability to reason and build tools and stuff. But I know like they have tools, but in comparison, what are humans like intelligence levels? That's really interesting. I mean, you have. Xenomorphs, which are very parasitic, very uh, kind of 
have this like kind of mar- monarchy strict. I, I don't know how you would say the organization. It's like where you have a queen and you have a colony. A colony, there, I think, yeah, is, yeah. More so. Yeah. Uh, a colony type organization. And um, the Yaucha have that technology and they have a very tribal kind of hunter gatherer mentality. And I don't know if humans have anything that's really that like if they're smarter per se. Um, I mean, there's a lot of them where like, for example, the Yaucha won't, they, they see this, they see mainly when, when they're in the movies, they're, they're always on a hunt during the peak seasons of heat. By the way, in AVP, it's not hot. They're in Antarctica. So I don't know what that was about. There has to be some explanation. but Yeah, that would make um, it easier, though. If everything's ice and then there's one warm body, like, yeah. that's almost cheating. Like, yeah, see, that, no that would actually reduce that. the you know the signal, signal to noise, to noise. Oh, of what they can see through their native vision. <laughs> yeah. But they're using the biomass most of the time, so maybe they don't want you know care about depending on it. I um, would like to point out that in the movie, they do state that the predators, if I remember this correctly, like the predators help like develop civilization, right? Because they're the ones who brought like oh, yeah, early see, civilization see gods, to humans. demigods. Or, yeah, yeah, taught them how to build pyramids. Okay, so we're behind yeah. them. And they're like super evolution. technologically advanced. Yeah, I was going to say, if they've already been like to Earth and they have space cows, I don't know what else. <laughs> I feel like if anything, that speaks to their level of intelligence more than any of their other tools that they have. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's a lot. I mean, I, I would say their intelligence is probably uh, is hmm. probably very big. But, I, you know, I try to look up kind of, you know, at least brain anatomy, something. You know, and brain anatomy obviously is not a, a direct signal of intelligence by any means. But usually cortical folds end up, you know, like cortical folds you know it's more like an indication of complexity indication of complexity Mm -hmm. within their anatomy and so so far i couldn't want i only there's only early uh predator face concepts on the wiki by stan winston Hmm. sounds like there's a lot of neuroscience research to be done in this area (laughs) right i'm gonna write my next nih grant to to studying predator biology and a full yeah a full workup of neuroanatomy of the xenomorph i already get get enough rejection from 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 real experiments you know i'm proposing in grants so i I think for like fictional species they'll probably buy it more you never know high impact i would think i would think yes (laughs) it definitely would be So could you just tell us a little, we kind of started touching on it, but on the xenomorphs and like what their sensory biology is like? Yeah. So xenomorphs, this is actually a really interesting debate. And I think um, I'm not a geneticist by trade, but uh, there's a lot of debate about how they see. Uh, So you know, there's some theories about the fact that they use, uh, so it's they say that there's ad, there's no visible eyes, right? You don't see visible eyes, except actually on one xenomorph, which is Ripley. So in alien aliens, yeah, aliens, which aliens, which is alien two, basically. <laughs> there's just an S at the end; it's plural now. Um, <laughs> they found another one. No, <laughs> no, sorry. Alien resurrection is where Rip, uh, where I believe the queen gives birth to like this weird hybrid humanoid alien it is the creepiest thing that i've seen it's like if you took a skull and made like formed an alien from it it's really weird and so the this you know it's super strong and ends up you know instead of uh, being you know through the face hugger thing it hatches as like a kind of a live birth from the the queen mother 
And uh, what what it happens to do is kill the queen, and then you know it sees Ripley as as its mother. Um, that one actually has eyes. Mm. It's like really black eyes, and it has a nose too, which is crazy. Yeah, I got to show you a picture of this. <laughs> we should we should have you know have this to throw it up on there. <laughs> but uh, so so they. There's a debate. Uh, so um, they have they, they say that on the on the I'm referring to the wiki here because I've always wondered this. But in the original Alien film, the top of the th- thought is that the top of the creature's head was semi-transparent, and that they have actual sockets of uh, eye sockets on, underneath there. But that's also was dropped and not really you know not really uh, thought about. But then they talk about like Alien Three also has a I never thought about this. They show the first perspective from a xenomorph and it has kind of a fisheye lens, hmm. but we don't know if that's actual sight. Um, and so uh, there's there's a th- oh yeah so this is where you have to go outside of the movies in the 2010 Alien vs Predator game which I have played and beat. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good game. Um, one of the marine audio tapes that you can listen to on there that says that uh, that xenomorphs have vision. So that's kind of a that's an interesting thing. But there's a thought that they can also use echolocation, like bats, so they can bounce sound off of their surroundings in order to get uh, in order to get some sort of some sort of uh, stuff there um, that they can actually sense around them. Um, also, electroreception is something that we talked about. So there's a thought that they can they actually use electroreception, and that's why they give off so, uh, something within like w- where the predator can actually view them through through a through like a some electromagnetic spectrum um, mode of vision on their on their uh, I don't know what that fully means, but it's something where they give off like some sort of magnetic field or something. Um, but yeah, this is something. Um, they also say that they have pheromonal sense as well. Hmm. So but, something I've always wondered is, is in all the alien movies, the eggs don't hatch until a human like looks over it. Oh <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Like, how are they sensing when to hatch? Like, can they sense <laughs> that's that the most cinematic a time? Yeah. <laughs> first, exactly. Most opportune time, right then, and the one is that, that makes a sense? Best yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, like when the face huggers come out of the exactly. come out of the eggs that the queen lays. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, another good question I pose this to you is the chest bursters. How do they know to burst oh, forward that's true. instead of backwards? I mean, are they positioning themselves well after they're laid within the within the abdomen of, of humans or whatever species they're they're uh, impregnating? Is it? <laughs> Is it basically they bursting because they can like sense oh, the yeah. forward direct? I, I have no idea. Yeah, how are they telling which is forward and backwards? Yeah, because I'm can, sure like humans aren't the only hosts that they can take. Like, no, yeah. So we, we've seen like animals or the predators they've taken. Uh, they've also done in Alien Three. Um, they did uh, the a dog. They had a dog alien. They had in Prometheus. Prometheus was all like you know the the hammerpeds, the the earliest face huggers. You had the uh, oh man, you had all these other ones that were just hmm. like the engineers had a special one. So there's like there's definitely a lot of lore where there's there's different species that they can take on their characteristics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, but, yeah, I wanted to talk. That seemed like an interesting point though. Like wherever. Whatever they use as a host, they take on some of the species' characteristics. So, like, you would think that that 
may affect their biology and stuff in some way. Like the one that was in a human, you said had eyes. Yeah. So I wonder if their senses are different, basically. That, that's an, that's a really post. interesting question. And, and whether it gives them an advantage, too. I mean, mm-hmm. you, could, you could imagine a boss character that, <laughs> you know, like they, they always have. Um, I think they were talking about like uh, predators do have like those dreadlocks. Right. Mm-hmm. So they have I believe the dreadlocks are actually uh, I may have to look, fully look this up. But I wonder if, you know, they're, they're fleshy. I know for sure. Maybe I wonder if the predalien can actually feel, take on the, you know, I'm imagining if they're fleshy, there's some sort of sensory mm-hmm. thing with, with the predator where it can, you know, whip its dreadlocks around and feel something, <laughs> which is very, I don't know, maybe it can feel like a breeze on it or something that behind it. Maybe that's why it has such great, um, great reflexes. Uh, and so what if the, when, when the, the alien, the pred alien comes and aliens versus predator requiem, why, you know, does it actually feel something, you know, cause they can't feel it. Regular hive aliens can't feel it. Um, so does that xenomorph combination with a predator actually produce some sort of new sensory experience for the offspring or for the the new parasite that's emerged from from the uh, species or the host species. I don't. I don't know. Right. I'd like to think like so. More research needs to be done there too. Yeah. The, <laughs> or we need a fifty thousandth aliens movie. Yeah. <laughs> However many there's been now. The, the problem with is that they always go into. There's a lot of the species themselves are such an interesting species because they they both have their own advantages if you want to think about alien species and they're very hostile. Mm-hmm. So when I feel like the the newest movies never answer these questions or at least never like hint at things. Like there, there was a thing where they had a chest burster, I think an alien versus predator requiem. Uh, there was a chest burster that was, um, was in the sewers. They shine a flashlight at it and it like squeaks away and it runs away. And it's a, and it's just like, I'm like, what could that sense light? Is that an actual like thing? Yeah. Like, Cause aren't all the alien movies in darkness? Basically. Yeah, it's it's very much kind of like a like a horror esque type yeah. of sci fi franchise. So it it is in darkness. Um, I mean, they've also like learned to you know there's they've the big question is has they have people ever tried to tame aliens and and xenomorphs to do their own thing? And you would think about well, you know, what sensory experiences or guess you know would you use to like to to tame them or something like that? I mean, what. It's kind of, it feeds a lot into their perception to know about how they perceive the outside world. And it seems like a lot of it is actually debatable. I mean, there's some kind of base level there, but whether or not the specifics of it can you know, do that. Yeah. I guess it depends on what lore you follow with, with right. the series, right? So. Right. Well, we looked onto Yahoo questions because that's like our favorite place to look for anything really. But, <laughs> um, but for like movie related questions that people are wondering about and you're talking about all the debates and stuff. The biggest debate by far, I think, though, is who would win, alien versus predator. There is a lot of question and arguments, <laughs> <laughs> responses. Oh, so what man. do you think, given their different evolutionary advantages or different, you know, biologies, if you had to pick a, a winner? You know, so going through their... I've always gone through... So I'm, I'm a fan of both movie franchises separately, Bringing together, I think, is also really good to have them in the lore world. But I also, you know, the movies themselves are really bad. So 
I think going back to separate movies is really <laughs> is really good. But um, you know, since now we've pulled them together into the same world, you know, you have you know with aliens, you have you know this acidic blood that's that's a big issue, um, which is a big evolutionary advantage because you know face huggers, um, you know, they in the first alien movie, uh, they try to remove one of the digits of the face hugger. It's basically like a you know ten. Eight to ten fingered uh, spider with a with a tail, right? That wraps its tail around the throat and mm-hmm. it has this kind of like um, opening to put the predators or ugh, put the embryos into the uh, into the host. Um, and so they try to cut one of the digits, and it leaks acidic blood that's highly corrosive. Um, so they have that, which is very useful to them, but then predators also are smart enough to make a shield full of, with an alien's head and prevent that from actually causing them any issues. It's very, it's, it's one of those things where I would say due to my own fandom, I would say aliens because i like the movies better because i find them to be more of a fascinating species than predators but i think predators okay. themselves have more of the tool hmm. kind of that tool gathering uh type mentality where you know in aliens versus predator they have her whole day basically uh that he takes off the alien's head which isn't you know affected by that corrosive acid and you know, and and the other things like sharp tails, and they have that mini mouth. The mini mouth is somewhat advantageous, but I mean, I feel like I feel like th- there's a way to adapt tools to, you know, if you need to lack, if you lack that cor- kind of you know sensory advantage or that actual physical advantage. So, but predators are also very slow. So I don't sure. know. I have a question about mini mouth since we're talking about sensory biology. Yeah. Do you think mini mouth can one taste? to see and then yeah. how does big mouth taste <laughs> and then how do they all just integrate together <laughs> that's a good question uh i thought about that when, when i was watching this yesterday so funny thing is that weird alien thing i told you in i think alien resurrection where there was that human alien with that eyes and the nose yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he also has a tongue Ooh. aliens themselves do not have tongues i don't think the mini mouth has a tongue so by definition, it probably couldn't taste. But oh. we do have taste receptors that are not solely on our tongue. I mean, yeah. there's some on our palate, um, some hmm. in our kind of like upper respiratory kind of pathways a little bit. They're kind of scattered up there. Uh, so that would be my answer to that. But I would say... Interesting. Yeah, the, but that weird, funky, Ripley's quote-unquote sun alien. Yeah. <laughs> sun xenomorph. Uh, are you looking it up right now? Oh, I was just looking at the photos. (laughs) Like you Ripley's son. I wonder if you type it into into Google if it'll pull up. (laughs) Or it'll pull up some weird thing, but uh, don't do that. (laughs) I was just looking it up because uh, my experience with the Minnie Mouse is through Family Guy. (laughs) And so I was like, I just thought that was like a joke. I didn't know that that actually happened. Yeah, it was. So I now get a Family Guy reference. (laughs) Like five years it, after it definitely, I'm definitely gonna eat you with my little mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, was, I just wanted to be like, oh, is that actually real? I thought it was just some sort of like 
family guy making fun of how <laughs> weird yeah, they were to begin with i didn't realize it was a, like actual part of the movie so. it is very that's I mean, great it's weird they have like these two jaws going on i mean because you you have like certain species that i wouldn't say have like mini jaws i, I don't know of any immediately off the top of my head that have like small jaws um but i mean you have like you know lamprey lampreys have like single jaws right they don't have like a kind of a dual jaw thing going on um but with the second mouth, uh, yeah, that's just it. Will, hmm. Like kind of what they do is What's they go the for purpose, like a headshot. So. And yeah. The headshot. Well, it, it, sure. they, what they'll do is they'll tease their they'll tease their prey or whatever, and then they'll hold you know hold the prey or do something where the prey is in shock, and then they take their mini mouth and like go straight into the the hmm. head with it. They just take a bite out of the head is the best way to put it. Um. Yeah, I don't think they really, they do feed. I mean, we've seen aliens feed and they have to feed. I mean, that's a whole other debate is whether or not xenomorphs can actually, you know, they have to molt really quickly. They have to do all this other stuff. Why is it that they actually, um, like, how do they get those nutrients? And, you know, but they don't really care about their food. It's all, they're all, they're both meat lovers. Yeah. I think humans are the only, veg, you know, omnivores By out of all of them. <laughs> We don't appreciate the cows that we have on Earth. We yeah. don't have to fly out to. You get those to space cows. They're expensive. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, Kobe beef, beef is not is not a is not the cheapest yeah, anymore. It's a luxury diet for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier um, in one of the movies they flash a light on one of the aliens, and it doesn't seem to like that. Um, so we found a question here on Reddit um, asking about the intensity of stimuli and. Mm -hmm. If you're exposed to a really intense stimuli, will it require more effort from our perceptual structures to observe it? Hmm. So maybe in the context of like alien predator and then just like us as humans. So intense stimulus. Um, so I guess, yeah, first we should define what exactly is intense stimulus. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking in the, in the sensory systems mm -hmm. intensity of stimulus. And so that would be, so in olfaction, you know, stimulus intensity is, Basically, um, you know, the amount of odorant molecules in the air, so, you know, that you would be that you would be sampling. Um, I would say, would the body have to expend more energy? Is that is that the question to, to perceive? Our bodies and at least science in general, right? The, the path of least resistance is always kind of the the key key thing. I mean, if you're going to. The water is going to flow down a specific path. It's going to be the path that's downhill, not uphill. Mm -hmm. And so I, the same is with, with how our bodies have evolved to perceive sensory stimuli. Sensory stimuli, stimuli by themselves are very complex, but you would probably have to, instead of expanding more energy, which I would say yes, I would say the short answer would be yes. Um, you're going to have to have more networks to be able to process different intensity levels of stimuli, or at least discern them. Um, so you have different neurons coordinating in unison, or at least, you know, some going excitatory, some becoming inhibited. Uh, you would you would have uh, more energy being expended for distinguishing types of stimuli. I mean, a good way of doing this is doing like bold fMRI imaging, for example. I'm not a I'm not a neuroimaging person, but you know, bold fMRI is usually a measure of of oxygen or you know um, metabolic processes in a in a very um, 
kind of mesoscopic sense. Uh, but you can you can actually see the kind of that energy expenditure if you put someone in under like a fMRI machine and then just flash a light in their eyes or something. And yeah, I'm sure you would see a lot more neurons sliding up in visual cortex or mm-hmm. something, or not neurons, but voxels of, of that being activated. So yeah, I, I would say, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely more, there's more expenditure, there's more depletion, um, and therefore there's a lot of feedback inhibition that's going on. So you're having ways for, to actually interpret the intensity of the stimulus at max intensity, but you're also having ways to control the gain of that stimulus which requires much more neurons and, and a coordinated release neurotransmitters. And that's actually something I'm researching right now um, is, is how kind of gain control happens within the olfactory bulb. And so, you know, we have, I've been doing imaging of, of glutamate output onto, onto neurons that are receiving um, while, while the animal is, is sniffing an odor. Can you explain what, what you mean by glutamate output? Yeah, what so is so we have so glutamate is the main excitatory neurotransmitter in the brain. So it causes neurons to fire more when you when you put it on a neuron. So what I do is we, we you know a lot of the field is now advancing towards you know for neurophysiology we used to use wires electrodes and we still use them and they're very pertinent for the questions that we're asking based on electrical signals. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people uh, have now advanced the field of. Uh, neurophysiology to include optical imaging. So I image the brain and I have special uh, kind of um, spe- uh, special proteins that, that are uh, that fluoresce when they bind a certain neurotransmitter. Um, and I, I use them in my research. They're called glue sniffers. Um, <laughs> not, not <laughs> we're not sniffing glue, although maybe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's technically like G L U S N F R. I forget what it stands for. Scientists exactly. love their acronyms. Yeah, <laughs> well, I swear some... that's why they invent things is just so <laughs> they can name them ridiculous or like discover different proteins and then they get named something <laughs> crazy. It's it's meant to just like I, I just think they're just like you know what? I want to see the, this ridiculously named protein like expressed in another person's paper and just see them write about it because it's so stupid. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we named it. You have to get but, your. Your kicks in somewhere. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> you're working those long hours in lab. Yep. But uh, with with this, it's it's kind of interesting because you know we we take a lot of the molecular bio tools that we find in nature, and this is one of them that is a glutamate transporter from bacteria that has been kind of modified to fluoresce from um, from a fluorescent molecule found in jellyfish, right? And so uh, we can express these in a cell specific manner in the brain. And then using uh, very fancy microscopy techniques I won't really go too much into, I can image it in real time and kind of deduce the neural code of, of that reporter. And so the reporter I use is very sensitive to, to glutamate. They're also developing a, a one that's sensitive to GABA. And then, Another neurotransmitter. And then dopamine, a, neuro, a neuromodulator. Very important for your work. What are you talking uh, about? I don't go here. <laughs> I'm just here to know. interview people. <laughs> and he doesn't do, yeah. I'm not actually a scientist. <laughs> I don't do research. <laughs> uh, that that one that one's also a funny name. D light, which um, has D and then the word light instead of with an E in the middle. Uh, and yeah, so I mean, we're ne- we're now developing, and and it's interesting about these is you can get cell specificity, so you can record from specific cells. Um, and you can do large data 
kind of collection with these mm. indicators. And so people are going the route of large data, um, big data sets where they can image, you know, hundreds of neurons at a time. Some of them respond to stimulus. Some of them don't respond to stimulus. Some of them actually get inhibited in the stimulus. And that's something that we looked at. Um, what I'm looking at right now is, is suppression, like uh, actual, you can see that the baseline signal of the, of the, um, tool that we're using actually the 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 amount of light it gives off is actually it's kind of like turned off when the stimulus is on so it shows like suppression and this is repeatable and so we published a paper i think a couple of years ago in neuron uh, one of our postdocs looked at it but i'm kind of looking at that but with with a glutamate indicator mm -hmm. and so um so yeah i forgot where i was going right here with that <laughs> you're uh, looking but, at gain but yeah, gain, gain control is something that I'm interested in because, you know, a lot of the a lot of the gain control that's happening at the very input side. So at the, at the right when the sensory neurons receive odorant molecules and bind to them and fire an action potential, you know, and release glutamate. What I'm doing is looking at the bulb and saying, all right, so, you know, how does this gain control happen? I feel like the mom side of me also wants to like bring in like other there's other sensory systems like hearing, for example, mm -hmm. where yeah. the organ responsible for audition, the hair cells, the kind of first line, I guess, of sensing sound can be damaged by the stimuli. So that's why that is true. you always have to wear earplugs if you're at concerts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I've, I've never thought like olfaction, you don't really, based on the stimulus level, you can never really damage it. You can't yeah. smell too much. You can can't you smell, smell too, too much smells? of like a bad smell. <laughs> oh. I mean, hmm. I mean, you walked by or well, you get sort of like nose stuff. blindness that like doesn't happen at the site. Like, where does that happen? Well, I mean, there, there could be a lot of things. I mean, a lot of people, like, for example, like uh, there's people doing translational olfaction research um, where there's there's things where in t traumatic brain injury, so TBI, um, you know, a soldier in war, for example, can have um, their cribiform plate that kind of has axons of olfactory sensory neurons go, going through it. It can actually shear. So, so like a, a blast or something can actually shear it because you, you have kind of that your peripheral neurons heading into your into your nose and then head into your brain. And so when those get sheared, you lose a sense of smell huh. due to like a blast or a football player getting like, you know, yeah. hit by a really hard hit. Or I something. guess I was so. thinking more of like, you know, when you walk into like a fifth grade classroom and every single yeah. boy drowned themselves in Axe body spray. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And then like after half an hour, you sort of, you don't smell it anymore. Oh yeah. So, so like that, adaptation of the stimulus. Yeah. Yeah. So the stimulus isn't necessarily damaging the system meant to respond to that stimulus, mm. but it is like turning down its gain, I guess, or turning down the amount of signal that's going through. Yeah, I, I mean, that that does, that that's uh, definitely stimulus adaptation and getting used to it. I, I know a person who is doing a lot of studies at Harvard, uh, and I was talking with them. They're also a, a, another lab that works in the olfactory bulb, and they do, um, they're looking at the cocktail party effect of odorants. So you have, you know, you're, you're able to basically, how you're able to, like in a cocktail party with a conversation, you're able to pay attention to a conversation. You know, if we had a party okay. in here, mm -hmm. 
irregardless of the podcast. It's not a smart idea. But we are having we, a party with yeah. our listeners right Yay. now. Hey, <laughs> listeners. Um, so if you, you were to have like a like a party, you know, how how can you hear a conversation that you're you know or pay attention to it while there's a lot of mm-hmm. there's a lot of noise around you and you're paying attention to the signal. And it was just a really interesting paper, and we're we're starting to really get to the forefront of how um, we're able to distinguish um, like smells, um, basically like pick out certain ones in a plethora of noise, Hmm. and that's and that's really that's yeah. So that would be the axe body spray. But then you know, (laughs) if you have something that may be like different, maybe if I I always wonder if you like uh, what's what's like a singular point of odor that you could introduced to a fifth grade classroom and like be able to distinguish it in a sea of axe body spray oh, I see. oh nothing that kind of goes back to the like, signal to noise thing yeah. though yeah because all the axe noise versus the single intro like smell that you introduce <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so I, I i don't know i mean it's it, we're still at the fort with olfaction i always tell people it's like i always love the other senses because i find them really interesting the reason i went into olfaction was because it I knew nothing about it and I always thought it was like I always had these weird questions about it that I would ask my advisor uh when I was rotating with him and he was like oh we don't know that or you know we've kind of found out I mean we barely found out how you know how well our olfactory bulb is organized and and actually you know did the first you know imaging experience experiments in an awake animal like years back where we could actually see neurons firing or record from them and stuff so it's been like it's not it's been very recent and i think as a sense we don't know how we map kind of you know over a trillion different odors how do we distinguish those it's not very well known it's extremely extremely uh, limited i mean and we've mapped out like you know for our listeners who don't really know we've mapped out like uh different parts of cortex or different sensory systems like somatosensation uh, has been well mapped out and where it's you know it, you have a you basically have a somatotopic map which is basically a map where all right in the brain this is where feeling of your in your toes are and the, you know yada 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 but um with olfaction we don't really have that and there's a huge debate in the field how that actually that mapping comes about um it's good know. that you're on the on the question, on the case. Yeah, the case. For a small, for a small, yeah. small portion of my PhD, that's making a small, small the difference. The is part of but progress is still progress, yeah. <laughs> regardless of the size, I think. That's why there are so many grad students to help contribute. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> One it's, graduate student for each of the trillions smells yeah. we can differentiate. <laughs> You're making your small dent in the circle of, have you seen that? The circle of the PhD knowledge, no, or total yeah, knowledge. You're making a small yeah. dent. It's like a, a webcomic or something. It's a good graphic of what we're working towards. If you could be alien or predator or Yaucha, who would you be and why? Good question. And would you like to start? Sure. If I had the pleasure of being either a xenomorph or a Yaucha. I like the xenomorphs because I like the idea that they can take on qualities of their host. Uh So then I could be a little bit alien, a little bit whatever else I want. <laughs> a dog, I like dogs, <laughs> or, you know, whatever. So I think I like that they have that sort of um, flexibility. I oh. also like, I feel like the fact that they can't be seen on infrared is like 
because of an evolutionary advantage. Like all the ones maybe that didn't have this infrared or that were like able to be detected via infrared like got eaten or something by like the Yaucha <laughs> and only the ones that were didn't have the infrared spectrum emitting survived so I respect that. What are the Yaucha <laughs> going to do when cows start developing the ability to not be yeah. detected on infrared? See, cows oh, are man. evolutionary a few steps back from <laughs> yeah. aliens. But they're going to get there eventually. But eventually cows That's won't it. be <laughs> detected on infrared. <laughs> That is, yeah. I mean, as far as the Aucha and cows, I always wonder. That's the know, least of the like. What about uh, space cows? Just the, to the cows on their home planet, because they they do oh. have like animals on their home planet that have been like you know in the lore they've been fleshed out. I mean, there's actually like I have to I have to <laughs> show you after this the uh, the pictures of some of these things because they're really weird. But yeah, no, yeah. I. And it's I weird, digress. yeah, that they would only eat beef. So I like yeah. the aliens because of that also. <laughs> they can eat whatever they want. Because <laughs> they eat faces or whatever. Well, it's a, yeah, it says their dietary habits are not clearly established, so it can be open to anything. Uh, it's suggesting, so yeah, so I talked about the slaughterhouse where they eat beef. But uh, there's it says, oh, here we go. In one instance, a contamination caused by chemical AO3 or AO-3959X. Dot nine one dash fifteen. What? Oh, that yeah, one. this is pretty Obviously. crazy. I know. Uh, drove saying. a mutated predator to cannibalize one of the last surviving members of its own hunting squad. <gasps> oh, that's that dark. Is intense. And then they wow. become the Wendigos. Gene. The cannibal. The cannibal gene. Is that? It, oh, like, it, it mutated a predator apparently that allowed it to cannibalize one of the uh, hunting squad members. I the last see. one. So, anything meat, but I don't know where the omnivore diet comes in there. I mean. Suggesting it, it was only anyways. Hmm. I have I, I can submit my edits to these wiki anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Moran, if you're gonna be an alien or a predator, a yaucha. Uh that's a that's a really good question. If I could if I could choose to be one. I really when I when I was younger and I first saw Predator and I was really kind of and then I saw Predator too, and I was really enamored with the different weapons and the technic the technicalities and the kind of the even like the the way the like the vocal mimicry that that Yachos use, I would say I would rather be a predator. Oh. We're gonna fight each other. I, yeah. yeah, I know it's, a, it's gonna happen. Or you'll hunt. hunt right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what about like, you, Heidi? They have the full like, spectrum of like vision. Mm. Um, there's a little bit like it's it's familiar because I I don't know it's like. I, you know, there's hunting in there. I've never hunted, but I, I'm that person who's like, you know what? I, you know, I, I it was a little more like familiar, familiarity with human culture that I could like live with. And a uh, fun fact is they've actually had in the past um, predators in extended lore. I think it was one of the comics uh, where there was a, a human that was adopted by a Yaucha hunting. What? Group. That's yes. awesome. So she was, I think she was like a really tough um colonist or something on this very desolate planet that hmm. was similar to a lot of the where the xenomorphs came in in the first in lv 231 i believe two five i was there's too many dashes uh <laughs> too many numbers of letters um and yeah so you know she proved herself enough to be i think bloodied uh or blooded sorry so blooded is when they increase in rank for example is when they're accepted into the tribe huh. so, so she was enough to be a human one. into their yeah, into That's their cool. kind of like cohort and stuff. I thought it was really, I thought it was, you know, so 
it's not too much changing. I don't really want to cannibalize people. But it's just a <laughs> well, wasn't mu- that just that one case? It's a mutated yeah. predator. For that <laughs> I don't one. think you, you have, just have that to, one. Yeah, avoid God. that very specific mutation, or <laughs> chemical, or whatever. Oh, you know what though? Aliens have little baby mouths. So uh, oh. I take back all of my reasoning. Just based on the baby mouth, I would be an alien. You'd always have someone to talk to <laughs> yourself. <laughs> and the family guy. <laughs> the family guy joke. I'd just always be laughing to myself. <laughs> You'd laugh at your own jokes. Oh, classic. Classic <laughs> me. Remember that time? <laughs> yeah, your own jokes are the best jokes. There yeah. you go. What about you, Heidi? Okay, so first I have to ask. So with the predator lore, do they show much of their home world? Because you mentioned like, you know, their hunting parties, the tribal living. Yeah. They do. They show that a lot. They sh- so they so they show like so just going through the Predator movies. First Predator, no. Okay. Second Predator, um, uh, Predators two. They go up in the ship and they see that they have hunting trophies, all that stuff. They don't show the home world. Aliens versus Predator. They show the they don't show the home world, but they kind of show the ship. And then Aliens versus Predator Requiem. They show the home world, so they show right. Yajo Prime. So here's my thing. Kind of like what Moran was saying about being closer to human culture. With all their technological advances, I'd assume like they're not hunting all the time. They got their own home where they, you know, sit back and chill. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they got that's some true. of that Netflix. You know, they yeah. got some TV. Yeah, that's so I can continue. <laughs> yeah, what are they doing? My lazy life. They can't, so you they just want so whichever <laughs> species has access to Netflix. You're hedging your bet on the predators. Yeah, yeah, like, I'll, I'll move the Yacha Prime if you guys have like Google yeah. Fiber. Yeah, Google Fiber. You got the Fire Wi-Fi. You know they got better than Google Fiber. We call spaceships. You're like, yeah, that's true. I'm and a big fan of steak. Too. Dreadlocks are pretty cool too. <laughs> dreadlocks are really badass. Yeah, I love the like the movies and like just everything we've talked about have been like predators are these like super aggressive and like species that go out hunting and then Heidi would just be the one predator like <laughs> lounging on the couch like have fun y'all <laughs> I'll keep the whole planet safe yeah. don't worry you guys have a good time I'll be right here you ice cream. Bag. Yeah. you would never get to blooded rank all right no. yeah. I'm stay below blooded. that's fine you'd be like the only right. lazy predator <laughs> uh, yeah do they have a rank lower than blooded that would be awesome I just oh, love yeah. that there's, idea. It's, there's there's pup young blood I'd be, unblooded oh you'd be a little pup <laughs> Be you permanent pup. pup. pup <laughs> There's no entry on this Wikipedia for that. Oh no, there is. Never mind. <laughs> There's no entry for lazy predator. For lazy. <laughs> you never wrote it in. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more about our guests' research or the topics that were covered in today's episode, check out our website at cinemasciencepodcast.com. You can find us collectively on Twitter at cinemasciencast, and you can find Heidi at pandabumhot. Anne doesn't have a Twitter, but her dog Hubble sure does. You can find him at Hubble Gibson. Our intro and outro music was composed by Kagan Breitenbach. You can find more information about him at our website, but also check out his personal website at kaganbreitenbach.com. The first season of Cinema Science was graciously funded by the University of Utah's Neuroscience Initiative. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Bye!